Man, Elizabeth, I don't know how to follow up that, but um, I think God's word has some great answers. Um, Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, And that's going to be one of our texts for this morning. Uh, We've been talking about knowing God, uh, you know, knowing, knowing him, oh man, knowing him more, knowing him deeper. I think one of the best things that's uh, Bradley said in the past two weeks when he's been preaching on this was, was that if you think, uh, or he, he said, we're, we're all going to go to the grave with bad theology, meaning we're all going to go to the grave with bad ideas of God. But a huge part of the Christian life is learning what those bad ideas are and slowly removing them and slowly coming to know more and more the God that we serve. And if we can more and more day after day on this thing we call the Christian life, if we can more and more know God and, and know him more correctly as revealed in Christ, uh, it'll be a good life, my friends, and we'll, we will have a stronger relationship with God. So uh, this morning, I want to, I got three different um, passages we're going to be in in Scripture, if this uh, stand holds up. And it, as you've tell, tell with the service already, it's pretty relaxed, um, and I think I might just sit here, and, and you know, unless... Unless you just start feeling it, then I'll just have to take this jacket off and we'll start, we'll start running around. But it'll, it'll be uh, pretty relaxed. So if you have your Bibles, um, Susie, I am so sorry I did not get this scripture to you. Um, but we're going to be in Luke, the fourth chapter, to start off with. Sweet. If you got your Bibles, Luke chapter 4, um, go ahead and turn there. Man, it's kind of cold in here. Anybody else feel that way? I came here this morning before, we, picked, before we, we took the bus out this morning. We've been taking out the bus. By the way, we've been doing bus ministry, so if you have friends that want to come to church but they don't have a ride, get them in touch with Pat and I. And, hey, we'll go pick them up, won't we? We, we struck out a few times this morning, uh, but that's okay. Uh, we, we're out here to get people, you know, we're out here to, to get people into church so they can hear the word of God. Um, but before I did that, I came in here and turned it up to 70, 72 degrees in here, but I don't, I don't know if it raised a lick, but that's okay. Luke, the fourth chapter, uh, you'll have to take my word for it if you don't have your Bible. Jesus cast out a demon. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. There, too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. Once, when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, began shouting at Jesus, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched, and then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possess when evil spirits obey him and they flee at his command. The news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. Before we go any further, let's pray, and then we're going to talk, uh, get into the message this morning. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for these, uh, just the stories and the teaching that we've received from, from you. Uh, God, I pray that we could, uh, through this sermon, through this message, God, that you would give me liberty to preach, God, and that we could come to know you more uh, as revealed in Jesus Christ. 
It's by your powerful, powerful name that I pray it. Amen. Amen. So I want to use this story in Luke chapter 4 as kind of the context for, for everything that we've been talking about. For the past two weeks, we've always been talking about knowing God, and I am doing the same this morning, but just furthering the work that, that he has done. In this story here, we see this, this guy at the synagogue named Jesus, right? We all worship him, right? He teaches with power and authority, not just uh, very, uh, very much the opposite of Bradley and I. <laughs> just kidding. He teaches with authority and power. When he speaks, the words, they carry weight to them and the people hear them in their souls. They know there's deep truth to what this man is saying. Um, And as he's teaching in this synagogue, the synagogue where, where these people, much like we come to church every Sunday... They would go to worship every Saturday. This is, this is their regular routine, my friends. This is where they would go to worship God. This was their, their house of worship. This was their house of God, if you will. And in this place, Jesus is teaching uh, the word of God. Specifically, he's uh, teaching out of, out of Isaiah in this, in this context, as read earlier in the chapter. And he's teaching to these people. And it's in the midst, this, this is so profound to me, it's in the midst of this crowd with this regular routine, these people that come here every Saturday, this man who was a demoniac had been going there every Saturday. He had been in church, so to speak, every week, yet he was still demon-possessed, yet he was still held down by these spirits. But when Christ spoke, whenever Christ taught, that demon had to come out of him. That, that, that spirit inside of him had to come out whenever Christ was teaching. Whenever Jesus comes on the scene, uh, this man, his spirit's got to come out. But how does this relate to us? It tells me this. It means that we can be in church all the time, every week. We can be in the Sabbath every week, if you will. We can, we can go to church every Sunday. We can, we can do the Christian thing, but not know God. This man, that this demoniac that, that lived in uh, you know, in the area, goes to the synagogue every week. He's a regular there. You know, he's a churchgoer. But he doesn't know God, my friends. He is far from God. He's the opposite of God. He is possessed by a demon. And oftentimes, uh, oftentimes we're the same. Now, I'm not going to say here and say that you're possessed by demons. I don't believe anybody here is. But I will say this, that oftentimes we have demonic thinking. We live our lives by going to church, but with false images of God, false views of God, uh, which, which for our purposes today can be summed up in this. It's demonic thinking. It's thinking that is not of Christ. It's, it's ways that we think about God and his kingdom that, that have no, uh, they're not on par with what he is trying to do, my friends. And so in the same way, this is, this is I said this is setting up for everything that Bradley is preaching, what I, what I want to preach you this morning this. In the same way that Jesus looks at this demoniac and he says, come out of the man, I pray that as we look into God's word today, that we can, we can say to the ways that we look at God and falsely, the ways that we, we have demonic thinking, the ways that we look at God and his kingdom here on earth in the wrong way, we can look at those ways and we can say, get out of the man. We can look at the ways that we might be falsely looking at what God is doing and what he wants, and we can say, maybe I want to think about this differently. Get out of the man. Get out of the man. My prayer for us this morning is that we can walk away from here knowing God a little bit more. Jesus casts out this demon. We've got to cast out our demonic uh, thinking. 
With that being said, I want to turn to our second text for this morning, which is where we're going to spend the most of our time. This text has just been shaking me to my bones as of lately. It's something you probably memorized in Sunday school, something you probably memorized maybe at church camp or something. You know, you wanted to get some points for your team. You're, you know, I'm going to try my hardest. I'm going to memorize all of these. And they're the Beatitudes, right? Uh, this is the beginning of Jesus' sermon, um, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the, the greatest sermon ever preached, if I might say so. Jesus' inaugural uh, address to his kingdom here on earth. He's saying this is what the kingdom of God is like. And man, uh, just read the Sermon on the Mount, change your life forever. If that's all we had, if we did not have the whole Bible, but we had Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we could live changed lives for the kingdom of God. And Jesus here is, is showing us um, through the Beatitudes, um, really what this kingdom of God is like. Really, it's, uh, it's, it is the politics of the new kingdom. So, Jesus lived, you know, to really understand more of Christ, we've got to understand the day that he lived in. Jesus lived, Jesus was born, um, sorry, not on year one. <laughs> like most, most scholars predict that he, he was born somewhere around three or four uh, BCE or A.D., whatever you want to use. But he was born into the Roman Empire. So when we look at all of history, we see that throughout history there have been many empires, many civilizations, many armies, many different uh, nations rising up, waging wars on other countries. We see this all throughout. But none like the nation of Rome, none with more power than the nation of Rome, none with more savagery, none with more brutality, none with more war-minded criminals than the nation of Rome. Rome rising up as the empire um, above all empires, I might say. You know, we call Jesus the name of all names. Rome was the empire above all empires, you know. I mean, this was the real deal. This, was, this is what Jesus was born into. And I don't think that this was a coincidence. I think that God in his sovereignty specifically chose to, to put Jesus into the most vile, the most retributive, the most, the most savage empire in all of history for a reason because he came to completely flip it my friends he came to completely flip the way that we think about civilization the way that we think about nations the way that we think about empires so there's there's it's not a coincidence that Jesus was born into the nation of Rome because he came standing I might say in, in complete opposite of what Rome stands for and he does this with the beatitudes he, he starts us off with the beatitudes so let's just look at this text here Am I in anybody's way? I probably am. I'm not very graceful. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you've never heard this before, then welcome. 
Because this is, these are the politics of the new kingdom, my friend. We all have politics, right? We all have politics. Some of us in here, and I, I will say this side note, I think this is the beauty of the River Church. There are some of us in here who probably voted for Hillary Clinton. Then there's also some of us in here who probably voted for Donald Trump. But we stand under one name. We stand under one name under heaven, the only name by which men shall be saved, and that is Jesus, my friends. That is what binds us together in this place. And it's under him and his reign, under his kingdom, that we live together here on earth. And so as we're together in this kingdom, just as we have politics in our kingdom, our nation right here and now, these are the politics of the new kingdom, my friend. Jesus is laying it out explicitly right here with the, uh, with the answer to this question right here. Who is really blessed? Who is really under the blessing of God? That's the question I really want to answer this morning. Who is under the blessing of God? Under God's politics, who receives the benefits, right? Under this country, we have benefits. We have people who receive benefits from the country. But under God's kingdom, who receives the benefits? Under God's kingdom, who receives the blessing? Under his eyes, who receives the favor, the provision, the, the, the providence? Jesus lays it out right here. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. These are the people that in God's eyes, uh, in, in God's heart, these are the people that are favored and blessed. And, and I said earlier, Jesus was born to the nation of Rome for a specific reason, to completely flip everything they have. Because under the nation of Rome, the people who are blessed, the people who are rich, the people who are powerful, the people who have it all together, the people who are organized, the people who are males, the people who are in their families, the people who are in the military, the people that are a part of everything that they are doing, those are the ones that are blessed under the nation of Rome. Those are the ones that are blessed under the kingdom of this earth. If you look all throughout history, the people who are the, held in the most high regard, the most blessing, the most favor are the rich and the powerful. But I'm here to say that our God, as revealed in Jesus Christ, comes to say, no, it's flipped. It's the opposite, my friends. I've come to bring about a new kingdom, a new way. And he does this explicitly with the Beatitudes. If you take the Beatitudes here and you flip them, if, if you inverse them, if you... If you take them and you make the opposite of each and every one of them, it will give you a great description of many of the nations of the earth, including Jesus' own, uh, Israel, whenever they're under the thumb of Rome with, with the people there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If, if we inverse that, what's the opposite of being poor in spirit? It's, it's being spiritually pharisaical. Thinking, oh, I know everything about God. I know everything about God so much so that I'm going to persecute you because you don't believe God the same way I do, right? Being spiritually pharisaical, thinking that we know everything about God. But God says, no, the one, maybe the ones that don't know as much about me, they're the ones that are blessed. The ones that are poor in spirit, the ones, the ones that don't think they know everything about God, the ones who have a humble spirit when it comes to knowing me, those are the ones that are blessed. But oftentimes, people are spiritually pharisaical. Meaning we think we know everything about God. We think we know everything about this big God that we serve. I would warn you against that, my friends. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. This one was a little bit tough for me when I was studying this one. But if you invert that, what is the opposite so if we're to mourn, we're showing emotion, right? We're crying. We are, we are grieving over something that has happened. But the opposite of showing emotion, the opposite of crying, is not caring at all. 
And oftentimes when we look at civilizations, when we look at the kings and the rulers, they don't care at all about what's happening to their people. They don't care at all about what's happening to the people, the, the, the subjects that are under them. But the God that we serve cares very much about his people. He cares very much about the emotional state of his followers. He cares very much about you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says to cast all your anxieties on the Lord for he cares for you. So where the, where the kings of this earth say, we don't care about anybody, God says, I care about everybody. I love everybody. I, I care for them. And so in that, God says, blessed are those that mourn, the ones that are crying, the ones that are grieving, the ones who have lost everything. Those are the ones that are blessed. Why? Because they are going to be comforted. They're going to be comforted by, by the God who gives us comfort, the God who gives us that peace that surpasses all understanding. That, my friends, is where the blessing comes in. That is where the favor comes in. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. But oftentimes, with, with our human thinking and, and the thinking of, of civilizations, it's, oh, we don't care about anybody. We don't care about you or your, or your feelings. Blessed are the meek. Now, meek is really just uh, a synonymous with gentle, gentle or humble, right? Blessed or humble. And if we flip that on its head, the opposite of meek is to be proud and boisterous. You ever met somebody like that? You ever met somebody that, that they're not gentle at all? All they would rather do is say, look at me, man. Look at what I'm doing, man. Look at everything I'm doing. Man, have you seen, have you seen my new clothes I just got? Have you seen my new shoes I just got? Have you seen everything that's going on in my life, right? They're proud. They're boisterous. They would rather, they would rather have all the limelight on themselves. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to go right at those people. He's, he's going to go right at them when he talks about how they pray, how they give, and how they fast. They do all these things that, to, that God might, not that God might see them, but that men might see them. Jesus is saying it's the opposite of that. The ones that are humble, the ones that are quiet, the ones that are gentle, they're blessed. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those are the people that are blessed by God, the ones that are meek, gentle, humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. This one is pretty easy, my friends. God says the ones, that, the ones among you that want justice to be served, those are the ones that bless, are blessed because oftentimes when we look at nations of the world, they do not want justice. A lot of times people stand, we as people oftentimes outside of Christ stand for things that are evil. We hunger and thirst after evil. We want to get what's ours and we don't care who we leave in our wake. We don't care what kind of people we hurt. We just want things our way. And that is evil, my friends. The nations of the world oftentimes hunger and thirst after evil. But God is calling for a people. God is calling for a church that will hunger and thirst after righteousness, after justice, after right living. We need a church that will stand up for what is right and what is just. God says those are the people that are blessed. Those are the people that are blessed. Those that thirst for justice, not for evil. What kind of person are you going to be? When you live your life, are you going to stand up for what's right and just and good? Or are you going to stand up for what's evil and living your own way and, and leaving those that are oppressed and marginalized on, on the side? These are deep questions of the kingdom of God, my friend. What kind of life are you going to live? Are you going to hunger and thirst for justice, righteousness, or for evil? God tells us who's really blessed. Blessed are the merciful. 
for they shall obtain mercy. The merciful. Man, this one right here, Jesus is going right at him. Blessed are the merciful because oftentimes when it comes, to, it comes to the way that we do things, we have no mercy. We're merciless. We look at the people that are poor and oppressed and marginalized and we say, forget them. They're there because they made bad decisions. They're there because of, of this or that. The other thing, I can think of a million reasons why I shouldn't help them. But God is saying, no, God is calling you to a deeper level of mercy, my friends. God, what, what does the Lord require of me but to seek justice, uh, or, or, sorry, to... to uh, to, to seek justice, to walk humbly, and to love mercy, or something like that. Anyways, I just butchered that. That was the worst thing I've ever done, I think. We're to walk humbly with God and to love mercy. That's what Micah 6 8 says. So love mercy. Will you love mercy in your life? Or are you gonna be merciless? Everywhere you walk, are you gonna are you gonna walk with, with mercy in your heart? Caring for those that have none? Or are you going to walk merciless? God tells us right here who is blessed. He tells us who is blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. This one is also easy. If you flip this, what's the opposite of being pure in heart? It's being defiled in heart. It's having evil in your heart. Your heart, your soul, the control center of your life. It's, if it's defiled, then, then we know it's not of God. So God says the ones that are pure in heart, those are the ones that are blessed. Because God desires us, my friends, to have pure hearts. He desires us, as Ezekiel chapter 37 says, He desires to take out the stony heart and to put in a heart of flesh. He desires us to have a heart that is pure, a heart that is loving, a heart that is after His gospel and His kingdom, my friends. A heart that is full of love. This is what the pure of heart is all about. We are to be pure in heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm almost done, I promise, with these. I know, it, there's eight of them. We're, we're trucking through, though. And I, honestly, I, I mean, this is just hitting my soul. Blessed are the peacemakers. Man, this one really, this one really gets me. But Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, because he knows that all throughout history, there has been no peace. There has been no peace. Ever since Cain killed Abel, there has been strife and chaos among the earth. Brother against brother, sister against sister, nation against nation, rising up, war after war. Jesus said, no Blessed are the peacemakers, the ones that will go out of their way, will give up a part of themselves and what they want for peace. The people that will walk about on this earth saying, no more war, no more strife, no more killing, no more, no more waging fights and chaos, but we want peace. And if you're in this building and you call yourself a Christian, these are the politics of the kingdom that you should be following after. We're to be peacemakers, my friends. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they're called the children of God. If you're going to be a child of God, then it's by default that you're a peacemaker. A peacemaker, not a pizza maker. A peacemaker. I just threw it in there, see if you guys are awake. A peacemaker. Examine your life. Do you live your day-to-day -day in quarreling and bickering with people all the time, fighting and, and bringing about chaos? Everywhere you go in your wake is, is there left... Uh, you know, fights and arguments? Think about it. Or are you a peacemaker? Jesus teaches us right here who the blessed are. The blessed are the ones that work for peace, the ones that make peace in their daily lives. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called the children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. When we invert this one, it's the last one, we see that to be persecuted for Christ is to stand for something, to stand for his kingdom, to stand in our lives for everything that he stood for. But the opposite of that, my friends, is to not stand for anything. It would be the equivalent of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 saying that the man who listens to my teaching and builds his house upon it is like the man who builds his house upon the rock. That would be those that are persecuted for Christ. But those that build their house upon the sand, when the storms come, they're washed away. That is what the nations of the world are like. They don't stand for anything that's of substance, nothing that will last eternally. But God is calling us, my friends, to stand. To stand for what is right, stand for his kingdom, to stand for the God that we serve each and every day in our lives. Now, don't get the wrong picture. I just said, blessed are the peacemakers. So how we stand is completely different than how some people think we stand. Some people think that when they say, oh, we need to stand, that means they want to stand with a gun or a knife in their hand and go hurt somebody. No, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So when we stand... We stand to offer a hand to those that are hurting. We stand to offer a hand to those that are marginalized and oppressed. We stand to say, how can I pray for you? We stand to say, hey, come to church with me. Say, hey, have you heard about Jesus? That's why we stand, my friends. We stand, and in that, there will come persecution. Jesus said, those are the people that are blessed. But I challenge you to stand for something. And that something is the kingdom of God. Stand for it in your life each and every day. So we see here that the Beatitudes are a direct confrontation and the inversion, we talked about earlier in Luke 4, right, of demonic earthly kingdom principles. We talked earlier about in, the, in, in Luke chapter 4, this man that is possessed by a demon, the demon gets cast out. And Jesus here is looking at the kings of the earth. He's seeing, he's saying, nobody's got it right. And in fact, all of you are thinking demonically. And so I'm going to come in. And here are the new politics of the kingdom. I'm taking everything that you stand for. I'm taking spiritually pharisaical, apathetic, boisterous, proud, people that thirst for hunger and, uh, hunger and thirst for evil, people that are merciless, defiled in heart, people that bring chaos and strife and they don't stand for anything. Those kind of principles, I'm inverting them and those are the people that are blessed. Those are people that are blessed. Let it sink in, people. Think of it. These are the people that God has called us to be. They're the Beatitudes, the, the attitude of being. What is your attitude when you live? This is who we're called to be, my friends. We're called to be people that walk like this in our daily lives. And if you aren't walking like this, I know I'm not. Well, none of us are perfect. But these are what we are striving for, my friends. This is the layout of how we are to live our lives. Oftentimes people call Christians hypocrites. Why? Because we don't, we don't walk this out. We don't walk out what Jesus has said here. You know, oftentimes we think that, we think that to sin is, is all, the, all the vices that we can... When I say sin, many of us, a vice comes to our head, right? Alcoholism, drug addiction, this or that, prostitution, all these kinds of things, Right? Like these sins that we somehow like hold above everybody else for some reason. But it's just as much of a sin not to be a peacemaker. Or it's just as much of a sin to 
to not be merciful. Or it's just as much of a sin um, to not be poor in spirit, to not not be uh, humble about your faith. I could drop a pin right now and we could hear it. (laughs) I pray, my friends, that these principles are things that sink down deep that we could walk out as Jesus has called us to live. I asked the question earlier, who is really blessed in God's kingdom? And I think we can come to a conclusion now that the blessing of God lies uh, specifically on these people that are listed here by Jesus. But I think it goes further than that. I think that Jesus is trying to get us into a frame of mind that we can look around ourselves in 2018 and we can see Who is really blessed? I would submit to you that the man that lives under 229 Bridge, he's blessed. By all earthly appearances, by all earthly eyes, it does not seem like he is blessed. It does not seem like he is blessed because he is living in a state of of living that none of us would want, right? We say, no, he's not blessed. We drive up in our cars and and all our money and we say, I'm blessed, right? And we use it as, a, as an elitist mentality, a mentality to put ourselves above other people. But I would say that that man who lives under 229 Bridge is blessed. Why? Not because of what he has, but because of what he doesn't have. Bear with me here. He's blessed for what he doesn't have because it's precisely in what he does not have that God wants to fill. God wants to take the place where he does not have anything, the place where, where we don't have anything. He wants to come and he wants to fill it. He wants to move into that space. So through the Beatitudes, Jesus is trying to change our mindset so that we might look all around. We might see those that are on the outcast of society and we might say, they're blessed. They're blessed. And it's not even speaking in the here now. It's a prophetic, it's a prophetic call, my friends. It's... These are the people that God wants to reach. These are the people that the kingdom of heaven is just knocking on their door. If you want to meet Jesus, my friends, go hang out with the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the people that are on the outcast of the side, the people that Jesus said were blessed. That's where, that's where he's at. That's where he's hanging out at. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, I firmly believe that if Jesus were alive in 2018, St. Joe, He'd be at the food kitchen, wouldn't he? He would be, he would be uh, under the bridges. He would be in the alleyways. And then all us religious people, oh, we'd get so mad. Jesus, why don't you come preach revival at my church? Why don't you come over here and, and preach at our church and hold an amazing service? He'd just be shaking his head. You've missed the point. You've missed the point. These are the people that are blessed, my friends. These are the people where the blessing and favor of God really wants to come in. Where he really, where, where we talk, you know, Pentecost Church, we're all about the presence of God and all about the heavens being rent open and, and the stairway to heaven, God coming down and, and just and communing with us. And I believe in all of that strongly. But if you really want all of that, I know where he's going to be. I know exactly where he's at. He's with those that are hurting. Psalm 91 says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That he's near to the brokenhearted. The ones that are hurting, not the ones that have it all together, but the ones that are hurting, the ones that are broken. Elizabeth, I loved your testimony this morning. The ones, the ones that have nothing to do but cry in their bedroom at night, those are the ones that are blessed by God. Those are the ones that he wants to touch. 
Those are the ones that he's calling us to, my friends. He is calling us to them. As a church, he is calling us to those people. This brings me to my last scripture for this morning. Luke 15, 1. There we go. Sweet. This chapter of the Bible is very famous. It's a story of the prodigal son, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost sheep. I'm sure many of you who have been in church for years are familiar with these stories, right? A woman lost a coin. She cleaned everything in her house trying to find it. A man had 100 sheep, but one of them went astray, so he left the 99 to go find the one, right? The story of the lost son, that, that the son takes his inheritance, he leaves, he spends it on wild living. He decides, hey, I'm going to go back home, but I want to be a servant, not a, a son. But the, the father welcomes him back in as a son. It's a great picture of our salvation. All three of those stories are. But this is the very first verse of that chapter. And if we're going to get a glimpse in on where those stories come from, we've got to understand the context of what's going on here. See, guys, the Bible was not written with numbers in them. Smart people went in and said, okay, let's, put, uh, let's split this up into a chapter. Let's put this up into a chapter. So a better way to read all this would be to read Luke 14 before you read 15. And if you do, you, you'll notice that all of this happens at a dinner table. All of this happens at a gathering where Jesus is there and he invites people to come eat with him. But, but what kind of people does Jesus invite to come eat with him? Is it, is it uh, the president? You know, is it, is it the, the ruler, the, the high priest? Is it the one that's in the most power? No. Who does Jesus invite to come eat with him? Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. Just think about that. The tax collectors... And the sinners, the drug addicts, and the homeless, the ones that smell, the ones who don't have the nicest clothes, the ones that the, the, the people have rejected, the ones that everybody hates, the one that nobody wants, they all drew near to him. They all drew near to him. And often in the, in the background in Luke 14, you hear the Pharisees complaining, what is, he, what is he doing? And then Luke 15 too, the next, the next verse says, who is this man that eats and drinks with sinners? Who is this man? Well, that man is our God, my friends. This is who we serve, the God that we serve. It says that the tax collectors and the sinners might come near. This is who God's blessing is really for. I have a question for you as I close. Who are you hanging around? Who are you hanging around? Or I guess the better question is, who's hanging around you? When's the last time that we, I include we, because this hitting right home right here. When's the last time that we had tax collectors and sinners over at our house? Oh, I'll go down, I will go down to the food kitchen. I will serve them. But no, don't come into my house. Don't come into my space. Don't come into my personal life. Don't come into to everything that I am. See, we'll, we'll keep them at a distance, my friends. We'll keep the people maybe that we don't like or different than us. Yeah, I mean, I will love you from a distance. If you just stay in your corner, you stay where you're supposed to, I'll love you there. But no, no, you can't come over to my house. Come, come into my house. Oh, they might steal something. Oh, they might, they might take my valuables. Oh, they might, they might come in and they might hurt us. We've got to have a change in mindset, my friends. 
We've got to have a transformation of mind. Did Jesus ever think of these things? No. He just loved. He just loved. This is why, why people like the Apostle John, can, can, after seeing the life of Christ, can write things like, God is love. Because we see that in this moment, God's heart is after the broken, after the lost, after the hurting. Where is your heart at? Where is our heart at? Where is the River Church's heart at? Who are we inviting into our churches? Who are we inviting into our houses? Either we're all in or we're not, my friends. Either we're all for or we're not. Either we're all in on this message that Christ is preaching to us, this message of inclusion, this message of love, this message of blessing and favor on those who are not blessed and favored, this message of of loving the marginalized and the oppressed, this message of loving the outcast, this message of taking those that we do not like and including them into our circle. This is the message that either we're all in or we're not. A lot of us in here are all into Jesus when it comes for us getting saved, but what about them getting saved? What about them getting food? What about them getting what they need? Where is our heart at, my friends? So, application. This is not a question of if, but when are you going to have tax collectors and sinners in your house? I want, to be, I want, I want our church to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Doers of the word. People that go out and live the life that Christ has called us to live. Either we're in or we're not. You know, there's a a really famous scene where Jesus, he, he welcomes in another time people that are broken, people that are sinful, people that don't have it all together, the people that one of them's gonna deny him three times and the other one's gonna betray him. He welcomes those people in. We call, that, we call that the Last Supper, my friends. We call that the Lord's Supper, the, the time where Jesus meets with his disciples and he says, you know, I'm going to die for you and the sins of the world. And this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Now think about who he's talking to. Judas has not left the table yet. Peter has not left the table yet. Judas, my body is broken for you. Peter, my body is broken for you. So even in his last moments, even in his last moments with his friends, Jesus' cry is to the broken and the sinful. The ones who he knows don't have it all together. The ones he knows are going to betray him. The ones he knows are going to leave him behind. But that's who he came after. That's who he's always come after. Didn't he come after you when you were broken and you were sinful, when you did not have it all together? (laughs) He's still coming after me, and I'm still broken. I'm still sinful, but by the grace of God, each and every day, he's renewing me. But this is the heart of God, my friends. We need to come to know him more. I've been talking about knowing God. I pray that we can come to know the heart of God.